0: So we have been reading through and we've got all the way through and we are in Revelation right at the end of the Bible. Uh, last week, we uh, we kicked off this Revelation in Context part one. If you missed it, I want to encourage you, go onto our website and listen to it because there's a whole load of stuff in there that I don't have time to cover tonight. We're going to build on some of that, but I'll try and you know track with it as we go and fill you in in case you missed any of it. But... Um, We basically were saying this, right, here's the premise of last week and this week, it is this, the book of Revelation, the clue is in the title, it is supposed to reveal something to us. Yet yeah, so often when we read the book of Revelation, we find ourselves going, what was John smoking? Like, what is he on about? What is going, he, did, he, did he get put on Patmos? And did the loneliness drive him crazy? And did he write down some weird things? Like, what is going on? But no, see, here's the thing. John didn't go crazy. John was under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who is a spirit of clarity okay? And the Bible says that it's a spirit of clarity. Not some spirit of weird, kind of out of control, not know what's going on. God wants to reveal himself. The Holy Spirit is the spirit that makes Jesus known. So when John is writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he is making something plain. He is revealing um, something to us. And what we said was Uh, last week, that, that there are two contexts going on here, okay, for the believers in Jesus of that day, they find themselves living in two different cultures at the same time, much like ourselves today, right, they find themselves living in two cultures, for them, culture one was their physical present reality, which was the culture of Rome, They lived under the Roman emperor, probably the Roman emperor called Domitian. And if you listen to last week, you'll you'll start to see how Domitian's way of ruling played into the letter to the churches in Revelation. As well as living in the Roman context, they also lived in the context of the kingdom of heaven. They lived in the context of the scriptures, the context of the Old Testament. Now, if you were a Christian back then, you didn't have the Bible like we have today because it was still being written. Okay, Revelation features in that it was being written at the time. But what you did have were all the scriptures that had already come, the Old Testament. And John probably John, the disciple that Jesus loved, probably one of the, the Jewish followers of Jesus. Like I say, he was a Jew. And so he knew these scriptures inside and out. Because if you were a Jewish boy, you knew the book of Leviticus off by heart by the age of 10. And that's how we're gonna be changing our children's program next year. Moving, no, I'm joking, I'm joking, we're not. Um, it's a good job I'm out here and not out there anymore. Um, so uh, yeah, but literally they started there. And by the age of 10, they knew Leviticus it was the first book of the Bible that they learned and then they went on to learn other books and by the age of 15 they knew most of the Old Testament off by heart incredible because it was that precious to them the words of God to them they wanted to read it there was life in it and so they knew it John knew it the followers of Jesus of that day uh, around the time of Revelation they knew the scriptures and so, two things are going on here, right? John, he's writing, and he uses loads of picture language. Remember, we talked last week about the beast that had ten horns, and on the ten horns were ten crowns. And so we're talking about these ten rulers of this empire, and, and Vespasian, who was one of the, the, the rulers, he was the tenth in line after Julius Caesar. And then he had two sons, and Titus and Domitian, and they then became emperors. And oh, guess what? The first beast, out of the first beast came another beast, and this beast had two horns with crowns on it oh like he's using this picture language to say guys i'm talking to you about the world that you're in okay and he's saying yes this is going on but you know what i have seen into heaven and jesus is on the throne so do not give up do not bow down keep the faith that's what he's saying to them and when they're reading it and they start reading this stuff they're like They're not confused, they're like, oh, he's talking about now, he's talking about him, he's talking about this, this is what's going on. Now, how did they know how to interpret some of those images to mean the things they did? Well, that's because of their other cultural context, which was the Old Testament. Because John, a lot of this stuff, John is using imagery from the Old Testament to speak in to the day now scholars they differ on this okay but you know you know standard for scholars isn't it like one thinks this one thinks this one thinks this but this and maybe that or that and they're all kind of all over the place but generally speaking no matter where they sit most scholars agree that the book of revelation uh contains somewhere upward of 60 percent of it is made up of references um from the old testament that's over half of the book of Revelation. One scholar says 68.8% of Revelation are references or referrals to the Old Testament, quotes or references from the Old Testament. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament and you're reading Revelation, no wonder we're going to be confused. No wonder. But if we know the Old Testament, we start reading it and we're like, oh, he's talking, that's from there. That's, that's from there. And he starts pulling this stuff out. And later on, we're going to get on to chapter 13 with the beast and the the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff, or the fun stuff, right? And you'll start to see where those images came from and how they were able to interpret it to make sense in their day. Um, But before we get there, what I want to do for the first kind of five, 10 minutes is I want to whiz through kind of chapters one, two, three, four. um, And I'm just going to show you, okay, just so you know, I'm not making this up. I'm going to show you some of the references from Revelation, from the Old Testament that appear in Revelation, okay, and once we've established that that is fact, then we'll start looking at some of the weird bits in Revelation, and kind of going, well, where did that come from then, and why does it mean that, is that okay, that's what we're going to do tonight, so, so, Fasten your (laughs) seatbelts, tie down your hats because we're going to race through some of this stuff, okay? But here, here we go. So jump in. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. It says this. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Okay, this is Revelation 1 verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Daniel 7 verse 13, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, remember that because that phrase is going to come up many times, son of man okay, uh, well it was one like a son of man, what was he doing? Coming with the clouds of heaven, <gasps> so when they read this, I saw one coming with the clouds, they're like oh, we, we know that phrase. We know who this dude is. We know who the person coming with the clouds is because we read about him in Daniel and we know what Daniel was talking about. Okay, let's move on. Revelation 1 verse 8. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. Okay, uh, so um, Revelation 1 verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega. The Greek, this is Greek language, Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the, Hebrew alf- of the Greek alphabet. Omega is like Z. It is the last letter letter of the Greek alphabet okay so Isaiah 44 verse 6 this is what the Lord says Israel's king and redeemer the Lord almighty I am the first and I am the last oh So this guy that John is seeing in his vision, he's the guy that Isaiah was seeing in his vision, the Lord Almighty, the Redeemer, Israel's King. Uh, One verse eight, the uh, the second part says, who is and who was and who is to come. Isn't that weird? Don't we normally say who was and is and is to come? We do, don't we? We normally, we think past, present, future. Who was and is and is to come. John has made a mistake. Somebody let him know. Because he's written who is and who was and who is to come. He's got his tenses all wrong. When you see mistakes in the Bible, I promise you, they're not mistakes. When you see things that appear to be mistakes, those are moments where you need to wake up and go, the author is trying to show me something here. What is it? What is it? What is going on here is this. You see, the phrase who is in the Greek uh, is a particular Greek phrase. It literally means to be. Now, you've heard of the Septuagint. which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And uh, it's great that we've got this Greek translation. It was the the translation probably that was around in Jesus' day that most of them would have read back then. And the great thing about having this is that we can read through from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament in in this Greek language that they would have used back then. And we can track words and phrases all the way through. And so when John uses this Greek phrase, uh, who is or to be, Okay, we can go, oh, why, why is he chosen to put that first? Where else in the Bible does that show up? And in the Greek translation of Exodus 3, 13, uh, 14, it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is the name of God, isn't it? Yahweh, okay? yod He vad He. In the Greek, I am, are the same two words that John uses in Revelation to say who is to be. It's the same Greek words. And so when we see this, we're like, John didn't make a mistake. John is trying to tell his readers, the God that I have seen, the one on the throne that I am telling you about, is the same God that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And he's speaking now. He's speaking now. So, John's using all this stuff, wrapping it all up. Do you remember last week we talked about apocalyptic literature and how it's like this mash of all these different styles? And unfortunately, it isn't nice and ordered. Okay, here's a bit of poetry, here's a bit of narrative, here's a bit of history no, 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 no. It's like, well, here's half a sentence from the poetry and a quarter of a sentence from the narrative and a little bit from the history all thrown in. I'm just going to mix it up. And then later on, I'm going to come back to the other half of the sentence over here somewhere. You have to be tracking and watching for this stuff. And that's what's going on there. So Revelation one twelve. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, uh, I saw seven golden lampstands. If you know anything about the temple, alarm bells should suddenly be ringing, okay? Because if you go back to Exodus 25, verse 37, also Exodus chapter 37, you'll find it there as well. It says, talking to them about how to make the the tabernacle and the temple, okay? It says, then make it... Seven lamps and set them up on it, so that the, they light the space in front of it, the space in front of the holy of holies, in front of the presence of God. John Steele kind of trying to build up this picture in the mind of his readers. This is Yahweh, the God of Israel, that I'm telling you about right now, and he's using all this language to paint this picture. Revelation 1 13 Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Daniel 7:13. A son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Daniel 7:13, the son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. Um, and then Daniel 10, verse five. I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold for, um, You see this language? You see what's going on here? I'm borrowing a little bit of this and a little bit of this, and I'm pulling it all together to show you who I'm speaking to and who it is that wants to speak to you. Okay. Revelation 1 14. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Daniel 7 verse 9, his clothing was as white as snow, the hair on his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire and his wheels were ablaze. Daniel 10 verse 6, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. You see, this isn't weird new language that John's just spouting out. The church isn't confused. They know exactly what John is talking about. Revelation 1.15, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Ezekiel 43 verse 2, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters. (sighs) Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 this, this really well known one uh, You know, yeah, yeah, I hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first we, we know that verse quite well right it gets kind of banded around churches quite a bit it comes up quite often this reminder not to let go of our love for God but you know what when they read that I think when they read that it wasn't like oh it's that verse when they read that I think it cut them to the heart because instantly they were like oh man He's alluding to the words of the prophet Jeremiah. And we have become like the people that Jeremiah was speaking to. And they knew how bad that was, right? If you ever read through Jeremiah Lamentations, they call him the weeping prophet. And there's good reason they call him that. Because it is just full of sorrow and sadness because the people of God have lost their way. And so when they read that in John's letter, this reference to Jeremiah, they would have been so broken. Have we become like that? Because Jeremiah 2 verse 2 says this. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Oh, have we become like them? The church would have been asking. Revelation 2 verse 7. Uh, there's, by the way, I'm pulling out like one or two verses per verse. Right, I promise you, if you want to go and do some research on this, you'll find about five or six verses from the Old Testament per verse. We're just skimming the surface here, right? I'm just going to demonstrate that it is, it is coated and coated in layers and layers of Old Testament scripture. So here in Revelation 2 verse 7, it talks about the tree of life. You'll find it in Genesis 2 verse 9, Genesis 3, 22, 24, in Proverbs, in many places. This comes up again and again. He's alluding back to this Old Testament idea. Hold on to that because when we get to the end, you're going to find it there again. Uh, Revelation 2 verse 14, nevertheless... I have a few things against you. There are some of you, uh, among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. So you know how I said some of it is kind of borrowing bits of verses, bits of picture. This bit is just quoting a bit of Israel history. Right? And it is, it is literally referencing Numbers 25 verses 1 to 3, where, where Balaam and Balak, they basically get these women from outside of Israel to go into the people of Israel. Balaam couldn't prophesy negatively over them. So instead what they do is send in these women, entice them sexually, and cause Israel to turn away from God. So it's alluding to that. Revelation uh, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Now, today we might be going, hang on a minute, the what? The the seven spirits of God? I thought it was just the Holy Spirit. What is he on about? You see, what he's doing is he's alluding again to an Old Testament idea. And when he does this, he's like, he's, he's almost saying to his church, I want you to go back and read this because I want you to grasp what was being said back there. And so he's alluding to Isaiah 11, verse 2. And count with me here, okay? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, there's one. The spirit of wisdom, two. The spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, and the spirit of might, we're up to five. The spirit of, the know- of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Lord seven seven spirits of God okay he's, he's alluding back to this scripture and to find out more you'll have to go on your own time and read the rest of Isaiah 11 what is it that John wants his readers to know okay Revelation 4 verse 6 Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and back. Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 5 to 6. And in the fire was what looked like Four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. If you read on in other bits of Ezekiel, you'll discover that they also had eyes all over them. He's quoting from the Old Testament. Here's a good one. Love this one. Revelation chapter 6. You might remember this from last week. We talked about Revelation 6 and the great horse race in Domitian's day. Remember, there are four horses of four different colors a white one, a red one, a black one, and a pale one. You jump back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, and it says this. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled all of them. Powerful. Oh this isn't just random made-up stuff guys no this is stuff that we've known has been prophesied about for hundreds of years and God is still speaking through the scriptures today it spoke back then it speaks today and it will speak into the future the word of God is alive and powerful Revelation 6, verses 12 to 14. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. (gasps) Isaiah 34 verse 4, all the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. <laughs> I mean, if copyright infringement exists back in the first century, John would have a hefty fine, <laughs> but he's just taken from all over the Old Testament. In fact, the book of Revelation is the only book in the New Testament that quotes from every single book in the Old Testament. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy crazy Uh, we have skimmed the surface what is the point the point is this John is saying to his church I have seen the throne room of God like the prophets in the old testament the God that they saw I have seen he is still God today he is still on the throne don't bow down to Domitian do these guys they were facing persecution left right and center and he's like don't give up don't give up. This God is still speaking today. He's like, Church, you know this story. Hold on to it. Keep walking. Trust it, for it is good and true. Yeah, this is what John is saying to them. So here's what I want to do now. Hopefully, we're all agreed. Okay, that revelation is laced with Old Testament references. Right? We just skimmed the surface. If you want to go and, look, I can send you a, a list, if you like, of Old Testament references found in Revelation. You can peruse at your own leisure. It's great reading. Um, but um, hopefully, we're all agreed that Revelation is filled with Old Testament references. What I want to do now is I want to take some of the key kind of passages or weird passages, all right, we're going to enter in just lightly to start with, but we're going to get a bit deeper and deeper as we go. I want to take some of those key passages and go, okay, so maybe this bit isn't so weird. What is there in the Old Testament that might make sense of this? Is that okay? That's what we're going to do. So the first then is this. Incense altars. Um, Do you remember last week We talked about Domitian setting up incense altars throughout Ephesus. And he was like making people come out and bow down at them. And if they didn't bow down, they were killed. Yeah. Um, Well, John picks up on this idea of incense altars. And he talks about incense altars that go up to God. And so in, in Revelation 5 verse 8, and Revelation 8 verse 5, you'll read about these altars that are before the Lord. Not before Domitian, but before the Lord God. And he says that they are altars of incense. And you know what the incense is? The incense are the prayers of the saints rising up before the Lord. And then we get this scene in Revelation where God says to one of the angels to take from the altar some of the burning coals and to put them in a censer and to swing them down and sling them upon the earth. And as they do... Pfft, all fire and earthquakes and darkness and kind of things happen. What is going on? God is, is, well, he's taking the prayers of the saints and then he's saying these prayers have got power. When these prayers reach the throne of God, and the heavenly beings get hold of these, your prayers have a physical impact upon the earth. And this is found as well in Ezekiel 10 verse two, because we get there in Ezekiel 10, we get this, this angelic being taking off the altar before the Lord and slinging down to the earth what was on the altar and it having this impact upon the earth. And so John's saying to this church that are struggling, this church that are being forced to bow down or die before Domitian, he's like, you might be oppressed But let me tell you, there is one on the throne who hears your prayers, and your prayers have power and will impact the here and now. So don't give up. Keep praying. Don't bow down to Domitian. Come and bow down at the incense altar of our God, because he will hear your prayer, and your prayers have impact and power upon the earth now. The other thing he says this is saying is by taking the imagery from Ezekiel, he's saying, guys, God already knew. He already knew everything that you were going to go through, everything that was going to happen, he already knew, has already been foretold. And so you can trust him. Do not give up. Keep praying. How many of us, right, when life gets hard, prayer is one of the first things to go? You, you spot that? It's one of the first things to, to kind of go out of our Christian walk. Don't give up. Guys, for many of us, life has been hard recently. Some of you might have been feeling oppressed by all kinds of things, maybe situations at work or at family, home. Maybe there's been struggles going on financially or, I don't know, maybe, who knows what is going on for you? I don't want to guess. You know. But the message of Revelation, which is the message all the way back through the Scriptures, is this, that Jesus is on the throne and that he hears your prayers and your prayers in his name have power. Do not stop praying, keep being his people, keep going. Okay, next one then. Uh, if you, let's open our Bibles. Let's not just have it up on the screen. Revelation chapter eight. Turn with me if you've got your Bible with you. If you haven't and you want one, they're over by the door. Feel free to go and grab a Bible. Um, Revelation chapter eight. Let's look at verse seven. It says this. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hell and fire. Mixed with blood. All right, we've got hell, fire, and blood, okay? Jump down to verse eight, where you'll read there that a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the waters went red. They turned into blood, okay? Uh, jump down to Revelation chapter nine, uh, verse three. It says, out of the smoke, locusts came. Come on, guys. Hopefully, alarm bells are ringing for you, and if not, the clue is already up on the screen. Uh, but fire and hell and blood, water turning blood red, locusts. John is referencing Exodus 7, 8, 9, and 10, the 10 plagues that God used to set his people free, to set his people free. John is referencing them. Okay, cast your eyes, chapter 9, verse 4. Uh, talking about these creatures that are sent out to kind of bring some judgment upon the earth. He says, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Heavenly beings, I would like you to go down to the earth and to bring judgment upon the earth and to wipe out all of these things, but please do not touch those who have the seal of God over them. I want you to pass over them. Come on, Exodus 12. All this language is pointing us back to what God did in Exodus when they had the mark on their doorposts over their uh, door frames and and the Passover happened and around the time the plagues were happening. You see, what John is saying is this, guys, I know life is hard. I know life is hard. We're going to talk about the seal in a moment. But you have the seal of God upon you and he is going to bring judgment upon those who do not. He is going to bring judgment upon the world that is oppressing and being evil and destroying and speaking hatred he's gonna deal with that stuff he did it before he will do it again he did it before he will do it again he will we can trust that he will because he is the same yesterday today and forever he is the same so I don't know what you're going through but listen listen he did it before he set his people free he will do it again He will do it again. Okay, let's jump to uh, Revelation chapter 11. It's a funny one here. And some of you might never have read this. Well, hopefully you all read it the other week when we read Revelation 11 in our daily Bible reading. Uh, But you may have never read it before that. (laughs) You may have skimmed over it. You may have thought, that's a weird one. What on earth is going on there? Um, And I don't want to spend ages on this, but I wanted to touch on this because this is uh, one of those passages that um, people get all kind of weird about. And they start going off on all kinds of crazy theories about what this means and that kind of thing. And, and I'm not saying it doesn't mean any of that, because you might remember last week we talked about how prophecy can speak in the past, in the present, in the future. It's yes, cyclical, okay? goes around in circles. God's word is ever speaking. And so just because it means one thing at one point in history doesn't mean it won't mean something else at another point in history. Okay, God's word keeps on speaking until it achieves its purposes. Uh, so it, it, might, it might mean any of those things. But I want to take some of the weirdness out of this for you, just in case you've ever got caught up in some pre-millennial, post-millennial, who are the two witnesses conversation. Okay, um, If you want to know any of that, if what I'm saying makes no sense to you, rest in peace. <laughs> but if you want to jump into it and you, and you want to kind of go and figure out what all that stuff's about, happy reading. Um, so let's just read... Uh, let's just read... Yeah, Revelation 11, verse 1. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshippers. Now, if you want to flick back to Ezekiel chapter 40, you are welcome to. We're not going to read all of that right now. But back in Ezekiel chapter 40, Ezekiel's having this vision and uh, this angelic being comes and stands before him. This heavenly being is there and this heavenly being has... A measuring rod. And do you know what he does with it? He measures the temple. Okay. So instantly, if you're reading this letter that you've got from your pastor, who's off on some island somewhere and hopefully hasn't gone nuts, you're reading it and you're like, oh, this is quoting Ezekiel chapter 40. And right now, he's drawing on temple imagery. Okay. Because he's talking about measuring the temple. Now, if we read verse four, it says this in chapter 11 of revelation <clears throat> they are two olive trees and the two lampstands and they stand before the lord of the earth now before we go any further if you're a jew okay back in that time where does the lord of the earth dwell in the temple in the temple. The Lord of the earth dwells in the temple. So we've got a quote from Ezekiel, which is pointing us to the temple, and we've got the dwelling place of the Lord of the earth, which is in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And there again, we've got, do you notice the lampstands? The lampstands have come back up again. Where are the lampstands? They're on the table in front of the Holy of Holies. So we're in the temple right now, if we're reading chapter 11, okay? Um, And and next to the lampstands are two olive trees. Well, I don't remember reading about the olive trees in, in uh, Exodus when they were uh, writing about the temple and how to build it and all that kind of thing. So what on earth is that referring to? What are these olive trees? So if you turn to, to Zechariah in the Old Testament towards the end. And um, I'm going to pop my little thing in there so I don't lose my place. Um, <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 4, okay? let's just read some of this together verse 1 then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep he asked me what do you see so this guy's having a vision as well right i answered i see a go- uh, sorry i see a solid gold lampstand <gasps> i see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps what does he see he's seeing that Jewish candle that you might be familiar with the menorah okay he's seeing this seven-candled golden lampstand thing uh, and, and this again what is he seeing he's seeing the table in front of the holy of holies okay so we're in, the, we're in the temple again so I'm seeing this this lamp also there are two olive trees by it one on the right of the bowl and one on its left you're like whoa hang on a minute John really is just literally stealing somebody else's work, like, because he's just copying word for word some of this stuff, isn't he? I'm like, come on, John, get some original material. Uh, So we've got this lampstand, and we've got these two olive trees by it. Now, if you jump down with me to verse 12, we get this little conversation between, um, between Zechariah and the angelic being that he's there with, the angel, and it says this, again, I asked him, What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? Now, pause. Let's just think about this. Olive trees produce olives. Great, you are awake. Wonderful. They produce olives. And olives produce something much nicer than olives. Olive oil. Yes. Okay, right. Olive oil. I nearly fell off the stage. That's so funny. Uh, (laughs) Olive oil. Oil is symbolic in the scriptures of what? yeah of the Holy Spirit and of anointing okay so we've got here uh, something to do with anointing and the Holy Spirit and blessing that kind of thing okay so these these two gold pipes that pour out golden oil he replied do you not know what these are and we all said with him no we don't (laughs) no my lord I said and the angel says to him these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Okay. Track with me here. We're in the temple. There is a lampstand. We're definitely in the temple. There are two olive trees by the lampstand. Okay. These things that produce oil—they are anointed things. What things do you find in a temple that are anointed to serve the Lord? Priests, yes. 10 points to Lara. Uh, Priests, priests. Okay, guys, listen, listen, listen. Who are the priests of God today? We are, we are the church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are the church, are the priests. Okay, this passage isn't necessarily talking about two individual specific human beings are going to do something. It's talking about priests who are going to declare who God is to the world. What is this passage talking about? The church. Now, you could talk about the fact there's two of them. Are they talking about Israel and the church? I'm going to leave that up to you to debate. You you talk about that yourselves. But what I do know is this passage is trying to get us to think about being the church, those who minister before the Lord upon the earth and declare who he is to the world. That's what's going on here. Now, as you track down in in Revelation chapter 11, you get to verse 5, and there's this really funny little bit, and I just wanted to point this out. It says, that if anyone tries to harm them fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. I'm still praying for that gift of the spirit, (sighs) but it hasn't come yet. Um, So if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes out of their mouths and devours their enemies. I don't know if you've had that experience, but I haven't, and I can tell you, it's again it's symbolic it's symbolic what's it saying it's not saying that if someone tries to harm me as a christian i have the right to breathe fire over them and harm them it's not saying that okay what it is saying is is alluding it's taking us back to Numbers 16 verse 35 and in that passage two of the priests the sons of aaron they come into the temple and they do something they shouldn't do and they offend god okay they break his law they don't do what they're supposed to do and fire comes out from the holy of holies and it devours them and kills them them it's a really sad and tragic story okay but what this is saying is this that ultimately our God will fight for us when we stand and declare for him he will fight for us and ultimately he will have the victory right ultimately he will so there's a load of stuff going on there jump with me now to uh, Revelation chapter 12 let's talk about some of this stuff we're getting into the really strange stuff now okay so Revelation chapter 12 We've got the dragon and the stars uh, and these things start coming in. I want to talk just really briefly about the dragon and the stars. What is going on here? So Revelation 12 verse 3 tells us that in the heavens there was this other sign, this enormous red dragon appeared with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. If you, um, if you go back to Genesis 3 and you read it in the Greek version, you will find there that in the Greek... Uh, There is a little story about a serpent. Remember this story? Okay, and he was the craftiest of all the beasts of the field. It's Satan, isn't it? It's a symbolic story about Satan. And the word that is dragon in this passage is the same Greek word that is serpent in Genesis 3. We're talking about the same character. John's using this image of a dragon to start you thinking about the enemy, start you thinking about Satan, who is at work in the world. And in fact, John doesn't just spell it out in picture language. He makes it really plain in verse 9, where he says, the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient uh, serpent called the devil or Satan. Satan. So literally, if you were worrying or wondering about the dragon, the dragon in Revelation is just picture language to talk about the character that we know so well, who is featured all the way through the Bible, right from the beginning, the Satan, the devil, Satan, okay? Um, So, uh, let's talk about the stars, in Revelation 12 verse 4, we see uh, that that the, uh, the dragon, I like to picture it like this, okay, I, I picture that he's in heaven and God says something that annoys him or upsets him, because I imagine he gets quite annoyed or upset at most of what God says, okay, and I imagine that he was so angry that he just flipped around and his massive tail swung out and knocked all the stars out of their space, that's how I like to picture it, I don't think it really happened like that, but hey, uh, so uh, it says this in verse 4, the dragon's tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth if you go back to Revelation 8 um, well you, yeah Revelation 8 verse 10 and 12 you also see stuff there about the stars um, let's flick back there Revelation 8 verse 10 talks about a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky Okay, Um, and then in Revelation 8 verse 12, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. Now one of the things that you'll find in Revelation is that John does this, he tells you a little bit of the story and then the narrative carries on. And then he loops back around and shows you how that fits into the bigger story. And then the narrative carries on and then it loops back around. And he keeps retelling the same story sometimes over and over again. And so in Revelation 8, we get this little allusion to a third of the stars kind of turning dark. And then a bit more of the narrative happens in chapters 9, 10, 11. And then we get into chapter 12 and suddenly we get this story about a third of the stars again. So spot, spot where that happens, okay? Because he's doing something here. He's building up the story and telling you what is going on in the the heavenly realm from lots of different points of view okay um and so then we get this in uh, revelation 12 about the stars again um jump down to verse seven then war broke out in heaven michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon uh, fought, and the dragon and his angels fought back jump down to verse 12 Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and, all, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. So, let's talk about stars. What is going on? Keep those verses in mind. If you go back to Genesis 1, in the creation story, what you'll discover is that God created the world, and on one of the days, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And you'll notice in Genesis that it says this about the stars. He created the stars to rule over the to rule. Now that's interesting, because they don't rule, do they? Not, not such stars. And the reason that this language is used is because in the Hebrew mindset, now you know that we talked about this before, Hebrew language is really pictorial, okay? It's, it's full of imagery. And so in the Hebrew mind, to talk about stars is actually to talk about angelic beings, So when God uh, created the stars, they are symbolic also for his creation of angelic beings. Uh, In Isaiah, turn there, Isaiah chapter 14, we get a clearer picture of this. Verse 12 down to 15, it says this. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. Now, interestingly... The term morning star, if you translate it into the Greek and then from the Greek you translate it into Latin, which much of the Bible was, you get the word Lucifer. Mm, Interesting. And uh, there is a popular TV program called Lucifer on television all about some guy pretending to be the devil. I have never seen it, but it looks interesting. Uh, But uh, yeah, we often have, I've often heard, and you probably have as well, oh, what's Satan's name? Oh, it's Lucifer. No, it's not. You see, the Bible never gives Satan a name because there's only one name, Jesus, right? Satan never gets a name. You see, Lucifer and Satan, or quite literally in Hebrew, Allah Satan, okay, or the devil, they are just titles. They're titles. Lucifer is just the Latin translation of a Greek word that's translated from the Hebrew that in English is morning star. It's not his name, because he's not worthy of a name. It's just who he is. Okay, it's just just his title. So here, how you have fallen, morning star, you have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. You see, we're very aware, aren't we, of, of the fall of humanity, But what we're often not aware of, because we don't see it, we don't read it properly in the scriptures, but it is there, is also the rebellion of the angelic hosts that we find in the scriptures as well. Um, And that's part of what's being told in Revelation 12, this rebellion of the angelic hosts, this this character, this dragon who then takes with him out a third of the stars, a third of the angelic hosts, and they fight against Michael and the angelic hosts of Yahweh. Um, And you can read about that in, in Daniel 10, 13, where you read about... About Michael one of the angels fighting with this guy called the prince or ruler of Persia this angelic being he's having this battle with and in fact in Luke 10 verse 18 we even hear Jesus say this I saw Satan fall from the sky this language comes up again and again and again. So this isn't weird stuff. What John is doing is he's saying, guys, I know all this is going on on the earth, but let me tell you that in the heavenly realm, there is a battle going on as well. And these two things are connected. We're going to see how this happens in a moment. Another character in Revelation 12... Uh, is the woman. So if you go back to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, um, you'll see that there's this woman and in verse 2 tells us she's pregnant. We'll come on to that in a second. But she is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. This is a reference to Genesis chapter 37 verses 9 to 11, where a certain guy by the name of Joseph had a dream. And Joseph went to his mother and his father and his 11 brothers, and he told them his dream. He was a brave man. And uh, he went and told them his dream. And you might remember, Joseph's father's name was Jacob, and Jacob was also known as Israel. Okay, so, Jacob's talking to Israel and his mother and the 11 brothers, and he says, Hey guys, I had this dream. I saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bowing down to my star. (laughs) who is the woman? it's Israel. It's Israel. Okay. And Israel is pregnant and about to give birth, about to give birth. And in chapter 12, verse four, partway through, we see that the dragon is not happy about this. Okay. The dragon does not want the child of the woman to be born. And so the dragon stands in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so it might devour her child the moment he was born, but she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Who is the one who will rule all the nations? Who's the child? Jesus. Jesus. So out of Israel will come this child who will be a ruler over all. And the dragon, he is not happy about this. He does not want this to happen. And if you go back to Matthew 2 verse 16, what do you find there? When Jesus is born, when Jesus is born, we find Herod. And, and he is basically a puppet of the dragon. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Herod comes before, uh, b- before Bethlehem and before Israel. And he's like, I've heard that this child is going to be born and I need to snuff him out. I need to wipe him out. And so what does he do? He has all the children under the age of two killed. All of them. But, but we keep reading chapter 12, verse 5. She uh, gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations from the iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness. To a place prepared for her, jump down to verse uh, 14 and you will see there it says, um, verse 13 says that when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he, was, uh, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. Now, when God talks about, um, oh I haven't written it on there, hang on. When God talks about, uh, uh, Tom comes in a bit. When God talks uh, in the Old Testament about what He did with Israel when He brought them out of out of captivity, okay, He says it like this. He says, "I took you out on on the wings of an eagle." That's how God talks about the Exodus in the Old Testament. He says, "I led you out on the wings of an eagle." And here, the woman is led out. She's, she's, uh, she escapes, she's lifted up, that she might fly. It says that she's given two wings of a great eagle and led out into the wilderness. Come on guys, this is the Exodus story now that he's alluding to, right? So it's taking us back there and we see that we get this Exodus language starts to jump in because remember he doesn't think linear, he's kind of pulling stuff from all over the place and what God's doing and then we get verse 15, it says this, then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river uh, to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. When do we know a time where they faced the situation that troubled them with water? Okay, and it looked like the end but... Verse 16, the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river. It dried up that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Oh my gosh, the woman was saved because the water that was going to stop them and kill them, it dried up. The earth opened up and swallowed it and the woman was, was carried out on eagle's wings into the wilderness to be safe. And if you go back to Matthew as well, when Jesus is born, in Matthew's gospel, what happens? Joseph and Mary and Jesus... They flee to Egypt, out into the wilderness, to be saved from what the dragon is going to do. Verse 17 says this, the dragon, he did not like this, okay? So the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. The, The dragon couldn't stop the woman giving birth to the child, so what did he do? He went to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who were her offspring? Those uh, who hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. The church. The church. The rest of the offspring of the church. How is he going to wage war against the church? Well, the answer comes in the next chapter, in chapter 13. So, jump with me there. We talked about this last week, didn't we? Do you remember we talked about the beast, okay, rising up and, 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 and Domitian trying to crush the church? So, uh, as we read through, we see, that we see this beast coming out, and it's got these horns, um, and it's, it, it's got like, uh, it resembles a leper, and it's got the feet of, of, of a bear and the mouth of a lion. This is in verse 2, and right at the end of verse 2, it says this, The dragon, Satan, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. How was the beast, uh, why was the beast going to cross the church? Because the dragon was manipulating the beast to do that. See, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. You see, God created every human being in his image, right? Every human being in his image. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and the rulers in the spiritual realm. And so there's this character in the spiritual realm called the dragon and his stars. And they are trying to manipulate empires and governments and people to stop and stamp out the kingdom of God upon the earth that's what's going on here and and so John says yeah there's all this stuff going on for you but there's all this stuff going on in the heavens and they are connected because what's happening in the heavens is impacting the now how do we deal with that it's not by fighting back in the now it's by fighting back through prayer in the heavens because God is fighting the battle there that's how we deal with it okay we're coming into lands. I promise. All right? I know it's been a whirlwind and a long one, uh, but we're nearly there. Um, let's talk about the mark of the beast, because this is one of those weird ones We get to to the end of chapter 13, and it says that that there was this mark that was put on them. They couldn't buy and sell without the mark. We talked about that last week, but I want to talk more specifically because it goes on to talk about the mark of the beast and the number, which is 666. Now, I don't know about you, but I have heard all kinds of things about that number. I have heard uh, the mark of the beast, Oh, when barcodes came out, the first, middle, and last bit of the barcode was 666. Don't buy anything that's got a barcode on it is the mark of the beast. I also heard that at one point in history, an older Christian was telling me that when he was younger and Ronald Reagan came to power in America, they believed that Ronald Reagan was the beast because Ronald Reagan, I don't know what his middle name is, but he had three names and each of his names had six letters, 666. He is the beast. And, And there's all this kind of crazy stuff going on and people get caught up in all this stuff. But what we've seen already is that the Bible isn't being weird, okay? It's revealing something that's real, true, and solid. Something that God has been doing all along, something that we can make sense of. It's not trying to confuse us. So, a couple of things to say then about, um, the, the mark. The first thing is this. If you go back to Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, you'll discover that the beast isn't the first one to mark his people. No. God puts a mark on his people. In Revelation 7 verse 3, it talks about how God sealed his people. He sealed his people on their foreheads. He sealed them. And that language, sealed, is borrowed from Ephesians 1.13, where it tells us that as followers of Jesus, we have received the Holy Spirit as a seal upon our lives, guaranteeing our inheritance in him. The Holy Spirit is the seal, okay? And we'll come back to talk a bit about that in a moment. Now you'll notice that the seal in in uh, Revelation 13, this mark of the beast, it's on their foreheads and on their hands. Now this is not the first time that this has happened either. You see, Satan's got no original ideas; he just steals them all from other people because he's useless and he's lost. All right. So uh, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse eight, there you'll find a text talking about the commands of God. Okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The commands of God. Um, and, uh, and it says this to the people of the day. It says to, to bind it around your forehead and write it on your hand. To tie it to your hand and write it on your forehead. It tells us to do that. Why is it doing that? Why, why, you'd look like a bit of an idiot, wouldn't you, if you literally tied a scroll to your forehead and to your hands. And the scrolls, they're quite big. So, I mean, you wouldn't be doing much. You'd be a bit kind of, you know, you'd look like an idiot and you wouldn't really be able to carry out many of the tasks that you are doing that day. Is it being literal? No. What is it tr- meaning? What is it saying? To bind it to your forehead and your hand is this. Let the word of God, the life-giving commands of God, rule over your thoughts and over the things that you do. Let God's word govern what you think and what you do. Okay? And, and so we have a choice. Are we going to let the word of God govern us? Or are we going to let the word of a liar govern us the word of satan govern us which one's it going to be and this is what john is asking his church don't take that mark live the way of jesus and how do we do that well that's easy because the seal of jesus is the seal of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit is invited into our lives, we start to produce the fruit of the Spirit. As the Spirit teaches us about Jesus, we start to become like Jesus and do the things of Jesus. That's the seal that we want in our lives, to invite God's Spirit in. Let's talk about the actual number 666. Um, The number 666, uh, we talked about numerology before, okay? Um, and, And in the Bible, it's full of it. The number three is symbolic of God in in Hebrew numerology, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Three is symbolic in the Bible of God. Six in the Bible is symbolic of humanity, of mankind. So what is 666? What does it mean? It's simply this. It's simply when human beings try to take the place of God, when they try to set themselves up as gods. And if you jump back to Genesis chapter three, verse five, you'll discover that right from the beginning, right up to the time of John, right up to today, the enemy has got no new tricks. You see, he's still doing what he always did. Because if you go back to Genesis three, verse five, you'll discover there that this serpent is saying to Eve, hey, if you just take out, uh, reach out and take the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you eat from it, you will become like God. You can be in the place of God. Problem is, is that when human beings try to be God, we're not perfect. And so actually what happens is we end up creating a world that is broken, that is damaged, that is full of evil and hatred and all kinds of things like that because we were made to mirror God's image, not to be God, yeah? Yeah. We need to bear his image, not to be him. Um, Guys, I'm very aware that I've taken up a lot of your time, so I'm going to rush into land with this one. But um, 144,000, you'll see it in Revelation 14. You see, the enemy has taken people for himself. But let me tell you this, God has also taken some for himself as well. And there's this number, 144,000. And uh, basically, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 tribes, Apostles that lead the church, right? 12 times 12 is 144. In Hebrew, in the ancient Hebrew times, to say thousand was like us saying billions. We don't mean literally billions. We mean there were so many, it went on forever and ever. We couldn't count, right? So here, the number 144 is not a literal number. We see that. Uh, in Revelation 7, when John says, I heard 144,000, but then I turned around and I saw a number too big to count. What's he saying? God has saved loads. Like the people of God, it talks about the 144,000 with the seal of God on their foreheads, bearing the mark of God. He has saved loads for himself. And this is how it comes into land. Uh, It all ends, we get to Revelation 20. I'm, I'm I'm going to have to skip over this because we should stop. I'm so sorry. But listen, Revelation 20, it comes into land. Uh, We get there and we discover that that ancient serpent, the dragon, is defeated. He is defeated we can be confident that he's coming to an end, right? And then you get into Revelation 21. I don't know what your, I know that I've said before the titles, don't ever read the titles, but I love the title of Revelation 21 in my Bible because it literally says, Eden Restored. Because Revelation 21, all the language there, you start reading it, you start reading Eden language. And what you read is that Eden, the original plan of God, is restored upon the earth. And God made his dwelling with mankind. And that's how it all ends. I'm going to... Sorry, I'm not going to go into too much more on that because we have literally run out of time. Um, Thank you for sticking with me. I hope that's been helpful for you. I hope it's kind of... I hope it's kind of taken away some of the weirdness of Revelation because I believe that when we read God's word, it should fill us with life. It should make sense to us. God is not a God of confusion. His spirit is a spirit of clarity, okay? The Bible says that. And so when we read it, it should make sense to us. It should inspire us to live for him, to hold on, not to give up, not to bow to the ways of the world. No matter how hard it gets, keep going. Keep trusting that Jesus is on the throne. Keep praying because your prayers have power. Keep trusting in him. is that all right I'm going to stop there Emma do you want to just lead us in a song to wrap up is that all right let's just let's just be thankful to him let's just praise him for his goodness for what he's done let's bring ourselves to him again and say tonight Lord we want to live for you no matter what goes on in our lives you are king you are on the throne and we want to live for you